Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the Shrewsbury Biscuit Podcast. It's me, it's Alex Whiteley. Uh, and today I'm speaking to an author who got in touch with me um, a few days ago, possibly a couple of weeks ago. And it's Jamie Russell. Thank you for joining me, Jamie. Uh, it's lovely to be here, Alex. Thanks very much for inviting me. Oh, no, you know when a, an author gets in touch with me and they're like, oh, I've got, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I don't even have to explain. Just just come on, let's talk about it. Because there's nothing better than crawling up inside the mind of a creator, someone that can paint with words. Um, I'm very interested in finding out a bit about you, Jamie. Um, what I'd like to do, though, before we get into this, is it's kind of a new thing, but it's something I used to do at the beginning, is I'd like to find out a bit about you first, Jamie. Let's talk a bit about... First, let's start off with your beginnings. Where are you from? Where do you hail from, Jamie? Um, I'm a Londoner originally, um, born and raised in London and escaped to the beauties of Shropshire um, oh, probably about 13, 14 years ago, something like that. So I'm um, very glad to be here. And whenever I go back to London now, I don't feel like a Londoner at all. I feel like uh, I feel like my heart belongs in Shropshire. I'm always very glad to get back here whenever I go um, down to the big city, which hasn't been for a while, obviously, you know, with everything that's been going on. So. Who'd want to go to London anyway? Exactly. Um, <laughs> that's a very interesting concept, though. It's very interesting because I feel like when people are like, I mean, I've spoke to a lot of people in Shrewsbury that have kind of like gone to London or gone to America or done the thing. They've escaped and they've done their thing, but they always end up coming back to Shropshire. Um, it's very interesting. But like people from London trying to escape London, that's just very interesting. It really <laughs> is, you know, because that's the place that people are trying to get to, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Well, there was a famous, I can't remember who it was. It might be someone that's famous, like Samuel Johnson or something. He said, you know, the man who's tired of London is tired of life. And it's just like, well, you know, maybe, maybe that's me. I don't know. But, um, the hustle and bustle of the big city. And, you know, I mean, you come up to Shrewsbury and it's just like, it's a beautiful town. The people mm-hmm. are lovely. Um, the atmosphere is lovely. The community is lovely. It's, um, it's a great place to, to live. And, you know, I've got kids. So it's a great place to bring up kids as well. Um, so much nicer than, so much nicer than London where everyone's in a rush and stress rest and just um uh hasn't got haven't got time to give you the time of day you know um but yeah i, I love it up here there's this interesting idea um from spotify at the moment uh spotify are talking about how when it comes to uk podcasts similar to what i make you have london and then you have the rest of the country right so you don't have london birmingham liverpool manchester Shrewsbury. you have london and then everywhere else so when it comes to someone that's doing something that like i'm doing spotify are very interested in what we're doing and that the, there's a lot a lot of talks going on I'm, i might reach out to him I'm like okay spotify if you like what i'm doing chuck us some of that money <laughs> and how about the show um but yeah I'm, I'm very interested to find out about you and um, so you moved to london um what what was the the goal there to 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 move from London? What is it to what were you doing while you were in London? What was your job? Um, so in London, I was a, a film critic, which is I did for about um, I don't know ten years or so, and it was a fascinating job. I mean, it was you know it's the best I thought it was kind of like the best job ever. Um, mm, the yeah. I don't know eight movies a week or something, and you know get to um, go to special screening rooms in London Soho uh, with all the press, um, the journalists from the newspapers and magazines and everything, and then you know go home and write about the movies that you watched, and it was great. And off the back of that, I did. Um, some interviews with actors and directors and people like that. Um, so kind of a, a film critics, entertainment journalist. And um, it was great for those 10 years. And But then after a while, my stamina began to flag. And I think, you know, if you t- talk to people who are critics um, of anything, um, you know, whether it's theatre or film. Can or I just, can I, sorry, uh, there's a bit of a crackle there. I don't know what that was. Let me just oh. try mute, muting you, then unmuting you over there. Boom. 
I don't suppose you've got any like headphones you can chuck in your laptop at all. I um, have. I thought you might ask. So it might be that. It might be that. Let's just see if it helps. <laughs> the trials and tribulations of a podcaster. Um, asking people to rummage around their house to, for hardware they might not have. Um, <laughs> now I haven't used these before, so you're going to, have to tell me whether this is any good or not. Okay. Well, we'll we'll, we'll test it out. We'll test it out. Well, um, maybe if I hold the mic, it might might be better. How's that? Does that sound okay? Is it is it worked? Oh, you might have to go into. Oh, doesn't seem to have. Oh, there Hold we on. go. There we go. Hold yep. Hold on. You sound That's... perfect. Okay. Sound, sound great. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So much better. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so I'm very interested in speaking to film critics because I think it's very interesting. To talk. I had Carl Jones from Shropshire Shropshire Live, um, the magazine. Um, uh, was it business shop? what's the magazine uh, <laughs> Shropshire Business magazine um, and we I, I wanted to speak to him about the, the magazine and stuff and as soon as we got into the movie critic thing we started geeking out about Star Wars and stuff it's very it's very funny how you can go in to talk about one thing and as soon as you start talking about movies it, it you can't help but stay on that subject because it's your passion when you when you're a movie critic you got to do it and enjoy it right Yes, yeah, very much so. I mean, you're you're absolutely obsessed, I think, to be uh, a critic of you know of anything, whether it's books or films or, or theatre or whatever. I think you have to be really passionate about it and a little bit nerdy about it as well. You know, I mean, what you're bringing to the table is you're you're bringing all your knowledge of of that um, that particular sector of the of the entertainment industry and the arts, and you, you know, so it's really great to, if you have a background knowledge of actors directors filmmakers whatever um and of course that means that you are a complete nerd and that really is me i mean i really am very nerdy about about stuff um but 10 years as a film critic kind of wiped me out i was like okay do you know what i you need a lot of stamina to do this and i kind of reached mm. the point where i was like I, I think i've come to the end of it um so uh, that kind of tied in with a move out of london anyway for family reasons Mm -hmm. um, so we came up to the Midlands and really didn't know where we were going at all and just stuck a pin in uh, in the map and ended up, you know, came up to Shrewsbury for the day, saw it and just like, yeah, we'll try it. You know, we'll move up here for six months, see how it goes. Um, and I still vividly, vividly remember my arrival on the train in Shrewsbury, you know, as a complete Londoner. My wife's family lived in Walsall in the West Midlands. So I've been up to the West Midlands a few times and, you know, always... Uh, always noticed the difference you go into a shop completely different but I remember my wife had come up early with our youngest daughter and was already here and I came up on the train from London and then suddenly did that interchange at Birmingham and was suddenly on a train where the signs were in Welsh I was going through <laughs> fields of sheep and I was just like my god what have I done you know it's just, <laughs> just the worst thing the worst disaster ever I'm going to be pining to go back to London in five minutes but um, it never happened you know it was just brilliant so but of course you know being here it's really hard to do that kind of film journalism job that I was doing in London you know it's really hard to get access to screenings and and everything yeah. it's not quite the same you know just step out of your door and you're you're in you know the heart of the, the big city so um so that kind of writing that I was doing changed uh quite a lot over the um some of the time that I was here um and I actually from there ended up becoming a screenwriter and started writing movies which you know I was, was I thought this is this is a good segue from one thing to another and it would be really nice to be talking to be actually creating something rather than like talking about things that other people have created um and I did that for about eight years um and 
earned enough money to make it into a living. But the really frustrating thing was nothing got made, just script after script. You'd get commissioned to do stuff. And I mean, I think they say the odds of getting a film actually from page to screen is something like 50,000 to one or something, you know, for all these thousands of scripts that are made uh, or written, very few of them are made. You need a lot of kind of magic fairy dust to actually get something over the line. Look, a lot of luck. Yeah, a lot of luck. And, you know, there were some brilliant moments, you know, we were, there were moments where we got so excited. It was like, oh, such and such Hollywood, you know, directors attached to this. And it's great. It's going to happen. You're like, yes, you know, just waiting, waiting. And then, you know, sooner or later, everything would all fall apart. And sometimes it was later. So sometimes you'd end up like two or three years on a project going, it's about to happen. It's about to happen. It's about to happen. And then like, oh, you know what? No, it's completely dead. So it was creatively, it was the most frustrating time for me to be um, I, to be doing anything. Um, I, I but, imagine. Um Getting that crackling again, right there. Just let me mute you again, and then I'll bring you back in. There we go. Oh, it's still. Mm. So, so is hold, it, on. hold on, is it? Is it me? Is it something I'm doing? No. Um, let me just. Hello, 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 hello. So, is that any better? Yes, much okay. better. We'll see. Uh, okay, we were still recording. I just thought I'm gonna grab some, grab a cold drink. I was getting a bit of cotton mouth. I've just realised who you are, by the way. I've just recognised you. We used to go to taekwondo. We um, did you used to bring your two girls? Oh, Alex, you know what? I never, I never linked you to. Yes, yeah, I did. Of course, yes. you did. Yes, you used, to bring your, you used to bring your two girls, and we had little yeah, Timmy. That's right. Yes, of course. How's he doing? He's all right. We we took him out of it for a bit. Uh, we'll, we'll leave this in the show. It just shows us a small community. Uh, we we took we took him out of taekwondo because he was too young and and not really listening to the instructions. But we took him back, uh, and he's really enjoying it again. Yeah, uh, he's he's really like enjoying. Like he's like oh, yellow, oh, yellow stripe at the moment, going for yellow now. So yeah, it's really oh, a wow, small that's world. fantastic. Yeah, he's a lovely, lovely kid. He really is. Yeah, Don't he's great. Um, I was just saying, I was just saying to my wife, I was just grabbing a drink. And I was like, yeah, I was speaking to this author, Jamie Russell, and she goes, oh, the guy from Taekwondo. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> that's it. <who he> <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, I can't remember what we were talking about just, but about f- a film critic. Uh, going into screenwriting uh, and, yeah. and, the, and the failure sometimes of scripts when you're writing a screenwriter that must not be very good for your psyche right it, it, it must feel awful it's really it's really depressing to be honest i mean you know you put your heart and soul into the thing that you're writing and then you know not only does it not get made into the thing that it's supposed to be but you know i mean really nobody really reads it you know i mean maybe 20 people read the thing that you've written um along along the way that you're like well i spent you know a year and a half or something writing this because screenplays are a weird thing i mean nobody would read a screenplay for pleasure it's a bit like looking at i don't know blueprints of a building or something you know i mean it wouldn't be your go-to thing to oh i'm gonna unwind with a with a nice um a nice blueprint for an office block or something, you know, and have a look through it. It's just like, unless you're an architect, there's no interest to you whatsoever. And it's the same with screenplays. I mean, unless you're a screenwriter reading or director reading these things isn't, isn't really a very pleasurable experience. They're very kind of technical kind of documents. So, um, it was, it was quite a weird, a weird thing, but what was great about it, what was really good was it was a brilliant, um, grounding to like understand how to write stories and that kind of storytelling um was really what you learned on the job of doing this so you know you, and and going in and doing stuff like pitching like so going in to meet producers and directors and stuff and like pitching ideas to them pitching stories to them and um pitching your take on stuff to them was um was uh, a really useful way of kind of ending up now where I am now uh, you know I can say well those eight years weren't wasted you know they were a bit long-winded and um, I'm sure I wish there was a shortcut to get to this point but um, it was actually a really valuable training ground to 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 make that switch because I think you know I mean you would think 
when you, you watch a lot of movies, you read a lot of books, you're kind of like, I think if you do that, you're already well versed in kind of storytelling. But actually, then when it comes to actually telling your own stories, you kind of have to unpick it all and work out kind of how to do it and what the building blocks are to get the results that you want from a story um, for the reader or the viewer or whatever. And certainly when you're screenwriting, screenplays are like these really intricate kind of um, pieces of storytelling because, you know, a movie is only 90 minutes and you've got it or 100 minutes. And you've got you've got to put a lot of um, a lot into that to get the audience to where you want them to be from the beginning to the end. So they're kind of almost like Swiss watches as in they're like precision designed to, to get a res an emotional response from the viewer. And to do that takes a lot of kind of um, structural thinking about, well, if this scene happens here and then this is going to change and then, you know, we'll get to the big payoff at minute 95 when everyone will just be like, Oh my God. Yeah. He was Kaiser Soze all along or whatever it might be, you know? So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> One of my one of my heroes is Kevin Smith. Uh, I love Kevin Smith to bits. He made he wrote uh, Clerks and Mallrats. Um, and it, you, you have know, the he... look, Alex. You've got the look down perfectly. <laughs> the baseball cap, everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, I model myself on me, but I mean, there was probably a bit of Kevin Smith influence there. I gotta say, um, but he's he's one of these guys that's like, just write, just do it, just keep going, because eventually, some somebody's gonna see you and. You know, if it's good, it'll pay off. I mean, screenwriting is not easy by any. I wrote, I wrote a small script for, um, it was a five minute movie, one of these twenty four hour movie um competitions, and I wrote a film called The Loop, uh, and I wrote this script, and it's, it feels like I wrote a book, and this is only five minutes worth of footage. <laughs> it was just crazy. Like, you know, they say like, was it a, a page and a half is about thirty seconds of film or something like that? It's crazy. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's really um. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of work to get the results that you end up with. And then also, you know, as you know from doing that, I mean, we uh, I made three short films um, and it was just fascinating to see, you know, you, you spend all this time writing something and then it kind of becomes, it almost then goes through a transformation to become something else as pe more people get involved. So, you know, you've got your director, you've got your cameraman, you've got your actors and everybody brings something something to it. It's such a collaborative process, um, but it it does kind of feel sometimes like um, you're kind of just giving giving this your baby up and suddenly someone else is raising it for you. I mean, I think that's why a lot of people, you know, Kevin Smith's a really interesting example because a lot of people like to be writer directors and maybe even producers and that kind of, you know, if you can control kind of, kind of as much of the process as possible, then you'll be sure that you'll get the results that you actually want to get that mm -hmm. when you were sat in front of your screen, just with a, an open document on the computer and putting words into it. Um, yeah. So it's, um, it's, screenwriting and making films is a very different process to kind of writing a novel and uh but the the transferable skills was what was what really helped me i think so those eight years weren't worth wasted despite how awful they sometimes felt <laughs> well while you were away um i was i was orally procrastinating on the microphone talking about how being a movie critic and, and seeing the things that are both good and bad in movies can possibly help you with creating things but can it also hinder you as well because so much input output there's so much information going on there do you feel like you've got a leg up on on creativity from looking at movies in a critical way uh i think very much so and i think anything you know i think if you want to be creative if you want to create stuff the the starting point is to um expose yourself to lots of other people's creativity i think i think that's the key is you can really learn so much from it you can take inspiration from it you can cheer yourself up that you know sometimes you can see something that's absolutely terrible that's you know been either made loads of money or um been critically acclaimed or has um you know 
simply got made and you're like well actually okay you know maybe the the bar isn't set as high as you maybe might think it is and equally you see the stuff that's absolutely brilliant that you know you will never be able to do in your life at all and that inspires you to just try that a little bit harder on whatever it is you're working on so yeah so i think um if you want to be a creative then definitely you know if you want to write then you need to read and if you want to make movies then you need to watch movies it's it's uh, pretty simple Absolutely. I mean, I've got a book in me. I keep, I've been saying this since I started The Biscuit. If anybody's been listening from the beginning, you'll be like, oh, here he goes again about his book, you know. But I do. I have this amazing, I've got the, I've got the, the, the conscript written down. Transcript, sorry. Conscript. Look at that. Word, <laughs> wordplay. Uh, I got the trans, and I sent it away. I sent it away to publishers and they liked it and they're like, okay, let's do this. Uh, when are you going to start this? And I changed my mind. It's like, I, I wrote the first chapter. Didn't like being stuck up inside my head. I really hated that. It was terrible for me. And I put it away and it's still there in my sock drawer right now. Um, so <laughs> I've got this book in me and I just can't write it. It's a brilliant idea. And it's also the idea that, you know, you talk about screenwriting, how somebody might read it and go, no, that's, that's, that's awful and throw it away and it'll never happen. You know? yeah it's true but but, you know equally the person who says no that's awful it will never happen doesn't need to be the only gatekeeper who's standing between you and actually making it happen i mean what i learned from that time and i think it's true throughout the creative industries is if you are creating something that you need someone else to kind of um give you permission to do so you know you write a book if you're not self-publishing it you need a publisher to say yes you know we'll take this on or you need a producer to say yes we'll finance this script and turn it into a movie then um uh, it's really a case of realizing that you need to find the right person at the right time with the right project. And just mm-hmm. because someone says no to you doesn't mean that's actually a comment on the project that you're presenting to them. It actually maybe just means that they, that's not where they're at at the moment. You know, it, it really is, it's a real lottery and there's so much that's out of your control and, um, it, it's hard not to take it as a reflection on the work that you're doing, but quite often it's not. It could just be, oh, we actually have something that's very similar that we, you know, are in the process of developing. So we're not actually interested in this or um, we don't think there's a market for it. But then you talk to another producer. They're like, yes, this is, well, this is what we've been waiting for. You know, so it's just really a case of finding that right person. And there's no there's no way to game the system. It's just a case of it really is just a case of luck, you know. So. Yeah, being in the right place at the right time, yeah. and this is a, this is the thing, right? So when you've just written your first book now, um, I mean your first not uh, your first fictional book. I know you've written some non-fiction stuff before, uh, but when it comes to writing your first fictional book, and this is this is where I am right now. This is me. Have you thrown out? Do you throw out your strongest product and be like, "This is what I can do," or do you just send something out that you know you, to show people you're capable and save those good ideas for when you're a bit more well known? Does that make sense? Oh, that's an interesting question. I would say you always lead with your best idea and, yeah. and yeah, and just go for it. Um, and throw everything into it and then keep all those other ideas as, as backup. I mean, I mean, what was interesting about this book was this book came out of me walking to school with my kids, um, in Shrewsbury. And one morning they said, you know, you write loads of stuff, dad, that we can't read because I've got screenplays and nobody reads them or it's like books that are for grown ups rather than for children we would really like you to write something for us. And, you know, have you ever thought of writing a novel? And I had, but I was always terrified of the idea. You know, I didn't actually think I had had it in me to actually write a novel. I think, you know, um, a screenplay is like, I don't know, 15, 20,000 words, something like that. You know, a novel is like 60, you know, a novel for kids like this is maybe something like 60,000 words. So it's huge in comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, okay, that's a, um, a much bigger, more daunting task. Um, 
And um, I pitched them the idea as we walked to school and said, well, you know, here's this idea. It's um, about this girl called Casey and she plays a video game and she discovers that it's actually an alien training tool and the aliens are coming to take the best gamers from Earth and make them fight in a distant alien war, whether they want to go or not. Um, and she has to learn how to fight back against them using everything they've learned from the game. And she was just like, um, my daughter was just like, Dad, that's amazing. We really want to, you know, what's, you know, what happens next? And of course, I was like, well, I don't know. And they kept bugging me about it. And I thought, well, they're just being nice. You know, they're like, oh, we'll ask him for more pocket money at the weekend or something if we tell him <laughs> his, his idea is good. But um, they actually just kept going on and on about this thing to the point that I'd go to work to do what, to do the writing I was being paid to do. And they would have covered my monitor with like, you know, Skywake logos and what happens next and we want KC and whatever. Um, and it was really their enthusiasm that made me realize that, oh, okay, this is this is actually quite a good idea. You know, um, otherwise I might just have gone, yeah, that sounds fun. Oh, I've never actually done anything with it. So um, uh, if, uh, I think if you can work out what your good idea is, then then throw everything into it. I think that's probably a good uh, a good way to move forwards. That is such a beautiful con idea that it was your kids that inspired you to do that. You know, <laughs> all right, kids, earn your money's worth, right? Okay. <laughs> You've got to earn but, your keep. Come up with ideas for dad, you know? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, since I've started telling this story to people, my kids have heard me and the youngest one's gone, well, hold on, dad. You said that we were like instrumental in getting you to do this. So what's our cut? What, what, what are you giving us? <laughs> and she's got her calculator out and she's going, well, hold on. You've if got you a advanced, roof over your yeah. head. That's what you've yeah. got. <laughs> she's a total shark to be honest so um yeah i think she's she's auditioning to be my next agent i think so she's promising <laughs> me a, a greater cut of profits <laughs> um when it comes to writing for youngsters though do you feel like there's a certain amount of responsibility that can be quite daunting at times yes i think so very much and i think the industry has moved a lot in maybe even the last 10 15 years that people are much more aware of what the messages are that we're putting out there and what the the representations are of characters that we're putting out there um, for young readers and really making sure that they feel inclusive and that there isn't a um, a kind of reliance on lazy stereotypes and stuff like that. So, I mean, in many ways at the moment, it's a, it's a wonderful time to be in stepping into this, this world because children's fiction at the moment, I think is in the best health it's ever been. I don't have the stats to hand, but there was some research during the lockdown, which just saw children's books just absolutely soaring in terms of sales um and uh how many people are reading them and there are some absolutely magnificent books out for um what we'd call uh, well i guess if you're starting from picture books all the way up now to kind of um young adult kind of books um mine's slap bang in the middle as as a middle grade book which is kind of nine to twelve ten to fourteen that kind of um, kind of upper middle grade as they call it but um there is uh just a wonderful selection of books coming out at the moment um and it is, I think, a testament to the fact that children are reading more. I really do think they are. I think they're, they're really, really, really reading more. And the publishing industry has realized just how important children's book sales are. And I mean, they are an absolutely enormous part of the publishing industry and they don't get an awful lot of attention. You know, people kind of look at the um, grown up bestsellers and stuff, but um, the children's section is actually booming. I mean, you go into Waterstones and just look at the, 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 the huge amount of books on the shelves and on the tables and it's just um, incredible and that's everything from like you know graphic novels like um, 
the bunny versus monkey kind of series or Dogman or whatever. I mean, these are just absolutely huge sellers all the way through the children's fiction up to the YA stuff, which is which is also just huge. And when we when we look at IPs, not necessarily um, books, but when we come up with ideas and IPs that people like uh, Amazon and Netflix are looking at, you know, you're looking at the Umbrella Academy, you're looking at the boys, you're looking at all these really obscure ideas um that wouldn't necessarily be looked at up until recently you know you, you talk about so, uh, screenwriting um and, and the failure behind that you must be looking at yourself and kicking yourself when netflix released some garbage that just doesn't make no sense you know like, i've got this idea like what's good yeah it must, it must really, frustrating. <laughs> really frustrating well i mean the irony is you know all these big production companies like the netflix and the amazon i mean they are just they are just hungry for, for content and they are hungry for something that's been proven so i mean the reason why they're snapping up all these this kind of ip that you you know um uh to then turn into movies and tv series is that they want to know that there's an established audience for something they you know as much as possible the film industry involves such huge sums of money you know millions to make a movie that the more they can kind of insulate themselves against losses the happier the people actually having to put up the money are so if they can see that there's an inbuilt audience for i don't know sandman or something you know then suddenly it's like yeah okay this becomes a much uh, a much more um uh, interesting property for them and they feel like they're in that they're, they're taking less of a gamble or the umbrella academy or whatever it might be they're suddenly like okay there's a fan base for this we've already seen in another medium that people are interested in it so it probably means we can we can take a chance on this and that means people who are creating original content for film and tv are finding it much harder to kind of cross that that bridge and, and get it over the line because obviously there's a there's a certain hesitancy of just well do we know if you know, do we know if there's actually going to be a market for this or not? So, I mean, the great irony will be if my book suddenly, you know, someone's suddenly like, oh, actually, we make it into a movie. <laughs> Can you write as a screenwriter? No! <laughs> <laughs> someone actually then, asked me that the other day. They said, you know, if would you actually write the screenplay of, of your book? And I was like, do you know what? I think I might actually say no. I think I might just leave it for someone else to do. Um, and they were quite shocked. They were like, but you spent all that time. And I'm like, yes, but I equally, I know how, I know how hard it is, you know? And it, um, certainly the film business is um, meeting after meeting of people kind of wanting to comment on what you've written. And I mean, I, I think the, the weird, the weird difference between the two industries, I think in um, if you're a writer, editors um are very respectful of writers in and not in a, a bad way in a really lovely way they're kind of like okay you've written written this and we're going to help you make it better and they're you know they're spot on and they're brilliant but there is a sense of like oh okay you're the creator of this in the film industry writers are at the bottom of the pile i mean really writers are just like nobody has any respect for writers everybody in the film industry thinks they could do the writer's job for them so there really is just like you know you go into a meeting and you'll have you'll have people saying to you i you know, change, you need to change this, you need to change that, whatever. I was on a shoot for a short film and the sound man said to me, I don't like that line. <laughs> I was a bit like, really? <laughs> wow. I'm not telling you how to hold your microphone. <laughs> Do you know wow. what I mean? <laughs> That's insane. So, I, I think it's a long-standing problem. I mean, ever since the kind of golden days of Hollywood, you know, writers were always, um, uh, there was a famous film mogul who called them schmucks with underwoods, you know, the typewriters. And it was just really like, you know, they'd just get a whole load of writers, shove them in a room, pay them the same flat salary and just be like, yeah, okay, churn out the words. And it was always seen as just the kind of the, the lowest 
point of the, the whole process because suddenly then you have some you know charismatic movie star comes in at a later point and they're the they're the person who everyone wants to give the attention to you know it's just like oh yeah okay you know christian bale has just stepped on set it's like okay yeah now we now we're really like excited you know oh here's charlie's the or nicole kidman or whatever it's like yes um everybody will, will kind of bow at their feet but the writer's just like that's oh, just the, the number you wrote the thing that we're now you know actually trying to make into something real you know so I love speaking to people that actually physically make the movies. Uh, on on you suck uh, the other uh, network I have, US UK. By the way, we definitely need to get you on there to talk about this book because I want to speak to my American compadres over there and talk about what uh, what they think about this idea. Um, uh, but like when it comes to people that actually make movies, these are the people that should be celebrated. You know, we spoke to Peter Abrahamson who made the the the, the dinosaurs for dinosaurs you know he made like all the mechanical bits we've spoken to writers uh spoke to the producer from impractical jokers the other day and yeah all we did was uh talk about the guys uh is this it feels like a horrible thing but like you hear all these horror stories you know where you got like a director mid-shoot and they're like yeah yo give me a give me a rewrite of this after lunch or you can get off my set you know these writers are they're treated badly at times and you know it's a it's a shame huge shame i think so but you know i think whenever you have a big group of people there's always someone who needs to be at the bottom of the pile in the kind of social hierarchy do you know what i mean and i think yeah. when it comes to movie making it's just it's just become the writers um they're always kind of because also the writers quite often is also aren't the person the people who are then on set during the the shoot you know so you you your role is can quite often be quite compartmentalized and you do all your work before the camera starts rolling and then you kind of you know deliver this this blueprint and then they go off and do something else with it while you're maybe not even there you know so it, it, there's a bit of a disconnect i think between being the writer or the producer director actor sound man you know whatever um uh, it's, it's quite an interesting process and there's nothing worse than by the way because i do a bit of voice acting reading a script next to the person who wrote the script and you go a little bit off off what's on the script i mean you're trained to go by follow the script but as soon as you're like it flows better this way and you start speaking you could feel yourself getting side-eyed like did you just did you just skip the hard work i put into that paragraph what did you <laughs> oh but you know what when i've when i've actually been on um film shoots and people have been shooting stuff that i've, I've done for these shorts i mean we had some really quality actors on the short films we had we had people like alice Lowe, um people like that um and they come in and you know they've got brilliant ideas and i was always just like um tell me your idea and you know i would definitely tell you if you if it's better i'd be like yes please go with god and you know i will take credit for it at a later date that you <laughs> You came up with some really funny line, you know. I mean, I, I said to you earlier, film is a really collaborative process, um, and it's uh, it's a great a great thing to see that. I mean, you bring actors in; they bring your words to life in just an amazing, an amazing way. I always have the most incredible respect for for people who do that job. I mean, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be me to be an actor um, at all, other than in my head as a writer. You know, I mean, you play all the parts yourself, but um, in real life, to do that would be very weird. And and the, the the script writer has the upper hand on on the the actor that hasn't read the script. He knows what's going to happen next, right? So we spoke to Billy West on 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 New Circle a while ago. Amazing voice actor, one of the one of the greats out there. Futurama. He's reading this uh, this this line for Fry, where they say, "Ah, oh, Fry, you're drunk again." And he goes, "No, I am. No, I'm isn't." And and he goes he goes to the director, "No, I'm isn't." And he's like, "Just read it how it's written, please." And they they're like no i'm isn't and they look back at it and it's like oh my god that's genius and he had no idea he thought it was a typo do you know what i mean so it's great to have that little bit of insight um 
when it comes to writing a book, obviously you're saying it's a mass of words and, and work that goes into it. How do you discipline yourself to get it executed properly? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, turn off social media, I think, is the, start, the starting point. Great show. Uh, Great and show. then Twitter, Twitter is the worst addiction for writers, I think, because we all feel like we're doing something and, you know, by writing whatever it is now, 280 characters or whatever, we're really, we're not doing anything at all. Um, but it feels like writing. Um, so yes, that, but I mean, really for me, it's very much a case of just scheduling and making sure that you, you hit your targets, even if they're self-imposed. Um, I'm a great believer in writing a set number of words a day while writing a project. I think if you can, if you can say, I'm just going to write a thousand words and I'm going to do that every day for 60 days, then you're like, well, at the end of it, you'll have a novel. Now, of course, it might not be any good, but that I think you just have to cut yourself that slack and just say, it doesn't need to be good. It just needs to exist because it's much easier to change something that exists in the real world um and even if it's bad rather than uh trying to conjure something out of nothing because that's the hardest part i think the blank page and the putting the words down so if you just write a thousand words of not very good prose you know that continues a story even if you have to change every word at a later date it will be well worth the time of course the 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 caveat to that is you need to have planned in advance what it is that you're writing um i'm a great believer in planning um there are and if you talk to writers, there's kind of two kinds of writers. There's there's kind of um, plotters and there's what they call pantsers who kind of do everything by the seat of their pants. Um, and they basically just start writing with no idea where the plot's going very much, you know, maybe the vaguest of outlines um, and just see where it takes them and kind of discover as they go along the way. And I think those people are absolutely in another reality to me because I couldn't do that. I'm like, I need to know what every chapter is going to be, um, have an outline of it before I start writing. And I, I find if you if you've done that hard work in the in the beginning and you've made sure that the story has all the the right notes that you want to hit and you know what each chapter is bringing to the table, um, then writing those thousand words a day becomes much easier because you're just like okay, I know where I'm going. And you can also you can jump around. You know, you can go well, I'll write the ending first and then go back to the middle and then the beginning or whatever. Or this chapter is really hard. It's got a really difficult emotional scene that i'm not quite sure how to do i I'll, I'll leave it i'll write the you know i'll write the rest and come back to it so um i think there's a real advantage to to that kind of planning and scheduling and uh being slightly uh nerdy and obsessive about it uh that's the i'm not comparing my work to yours by the way because there's, there's no work but when it, when it came to my book my idea which i can tell you about um off air if you like i don't want someone to steal my idea but i don't mind talking to you about it but um <laughs> I wrote it so that I can pick it back up again. I, I was conscious of the fact that I was kind of umming and ahhing as whether I was actually going to write it. But when it came to, I wrote a timeline uh, and the transcript and, and or the the um, the plan just so that I can go back and know exactly what I'm looking at. Because, uh, like you said, it, it'd be good if you can take a break because I reckon consistency. Uh, when you say when you go on holiday for two weeks and then come back to it, it must be really hard. You know, because you 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 were on you're on a, you're on a roll before you went on holiday. You went on holiday. You've come back, and I got to carry on. Where was I? Oh God, I didn't know where I was going with this. You know, you got to be yeah. Able to no, that's the again. worst, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I completely sympathise. It's um, it's really hard. And you know what? I have the greatest respect for people who juggle a writing career with a day job. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to to not have to do that for a while. But when I read or meet people and they're like, yeah, I'm writing a novel, but I'm also working five days a week or something. I'm just like, my God, you are just superhuman to be able to do that, you know, to be able to keep the story going in your head while you're also doing something, you know, completely different and then come home at night and, you know, try and write for a couple of hours and get it done 
um, I think that's that's a real feat. But I think you know if you, if you are going to have to do that, then then definitely having a plan that you can follow and an outline will really help you because then you know when you sit down, you're like, I know what this is that I need to write, and it's five hundred or a thousand words or two thousand words or whatever. I can just kind of motor. And you know, I mean, people say this, and it's a cliche, but it's really true. It's like if you're going to do a long journey, it starts with one step, and it's like if you can put one foot in front of the other or one word in front of the other on the page, you will eventually end up writing the story that you've set out to write. Um, uh, and you know, all writing is rewriting. You know, I mean, that's there's no getting around that. There are no great first drafts. Nobody ever hands a first draft into their agent, editor, publisher, whatever. It's just like no, it's sweat and misery and blood and tears after that first draft is done to make it better. So, we spoke to uh, Kevin Horak. He's been on the show a couple of times. Who wrote uh, Mildred the Crazy Cat Lady? He wrote the first. Uh, it was quite successful. The first copy, but he's gone back and he's going to do like a. A 1.5 version of it so he's going to rewrite it uh and in a way that he thinks it should have been done after a bit of a uh, bit of thought you know it's been up for a bit maybe it could do with a rewrite and that's what he's doing which is quite cool i like that um so you've, you've put a lot of time into into the book you have a book what do you do with this product once you've got it uh are you asking me as in a kind of general advice thing you mean no 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 um, publisher you, how did you get this made did you, did you have a publisher see, in mind see. did you reach out to people did you do some research how did that go for you so basically the first step on the journey i think unless you're going to self-publish which wasn't an avenue i looked at so i can't i don't know anything about it um but all credit to people who do that because that also sounds like hard work to me but the first mm -hmm. step is really to find an agent who will champion you and who publishers will know you know i mean that's the thing an agent with a track record so that when they go to them um oh you should read this they will actually pay attention because the, the thing you're competing against as an author as a debut author is the slush pile really which is just you know all these publishers who are open to submissions have thousands of manuscripts that people have sent them and uh they don't all get read uh, they certainly don't all get read from cover to cover. And it's really hard to cut through that noise because, you know, there's there's an awful lot of people who want to write and there's an awful lot of people who are there churning out the words and doing their best and then submitting these to publishers in the hope of um, kind of finding that deal. So so really, if you can find an agent, you will find yourself jumping the queue a little bit because if you find an agent who reads it and loves it, then they will champion it for you to the publishing houses. And, you know, this will be someone who's already been to, has a relationship with these publishers and who can say, well, you know, the last five books I bought you, you published and made money on. So, you know, here's a new one that I'm excited about. Then they read and hopefully they get equally excited about. And that was what happened, you know, for me. Um, I've uh, already had an agent for film who's, who uh, had a read, read of the chapters. Like, okay, I love this. Um, I'll hook you up with a, another agent who I know who does books. So, you know, she read it, uh, read the first, three chapters and was like this is you know love this read the synopsis for the rest yep brilliant send it over to me read the whole thing um did a bit we did a bit of rewrite work together on the basis of her thoughts on the market and um uh some changes that should be made which were which were all really brilliant you know it's like it's fantastic it's, it's great when someone helps you make stuff better um and then it went out on the submission you know and it ended up with um skywake ended up with uh walker books who are the, the biggest independent children's books publisher in the world. You know, these are the people who publish, you know, I'm, I'm a, a dad with two kids. So I've spent the last 15 years or so buying their books, um, from we're going on a bear hunt to, you know, Maisie to where's Wally to the wow. Alex Ryder Stormbreaker series, all the way up to they publish YA as well. So, you know, teenage daughter reading about vampires by Cassandra Clare and whatever. So, you know, I mean, they're, they're, uh, 
they were the, they were basically the publisher. If you'd said to me, who's your dream publisher, they would have been it. So it was like, it was an amazing experience to walk into their offices and uh, see where the magic happens and sit down and listen to them talking about Skywake in a, in a really excited way of like, you know, we love this book, action adventure. And what was amazing was they didn't just take the one book. They said, well, it's a, it's a series, isn't it? And I was like, well, it's a trilogy. Here's the outline for the other two. And they were like, yeah, we want all three. So it was just wow. like, okay. it was like Christmas had come, you know, it was, um, it was one of those moments that was just, wow. So what an amazing thing to, to sit through. I mean, I'm just putting myself in your position now. Uh, that must have felt so good. Just your heart pounding. Like, I can't believe they're doing this. I can't believe they're doing this. That would have been amazing. It was so well incredible. Done. And what was, but what was really lovely was after eight years of kind of sitting in film meetings where nobody wants to kind of commit to anything and everyone, and it's a much more kind of ruthless cutthroat kind of business. Um, my experience in publishing was just completely different. It was lovely. It was, um, uh, real. The, the offices themselves had a real sense of, um, kind of being really inclusive and calm and kind and caring. And it was just lovely. Whereas the film business is very macho and, you know, everyone's kind of wanting to, you know, I've been in, I remember going for a meeting in a, a film company there isn't, who I won't name, but there's, you know, all I could hear was a guy in the background on his phone talking about the dollar exchange rate and how they were going to make millions to make this movie. And, you know, it was like something out of Wall Street. It really was. It was just um, a very, the two worlds are very different. You know, I'm sure there's lots of ruthless people in publishing, maybe, maybe even in children's publishing. I don't know, but I haven't met any of them. So my experience so far has been very different between films and books. And do, do the publishers take uh, control of the marketing thing? So they'll be like, we got it. Right, we've got your book now. We'll deal with it. We'll put it in the shops, and we'll give you the, your slice of money when it's over. With is that how it happens? Um, they are very proactive in terms of getting it out there and doing all this wonderful stuff. I mean, um, what's weird about it is you know you write a novel. It's a very solitary experience. You kind of write it by yourself. Um, but then the nearer it gets to actually being a real thing on a bookshelf, the more collaborative the process becomes. So suddenly you have editors kind of, um, you know, giving you feedback and helping you make it better. Then you've got suddenly marketing people, salespeople, rights people, you know, PR people, everything all get involved. Um, and, you know, suddenly then someone's sending you stuff like an enormous poster um, to put up behind you while you're doing Zoom calls or whatever. <laughs> and people are out talking to booksellers and kind of really pushing your book. Um, and that's not to say that they do it all for you, but you are, you do feel like you're being taken great care of because everybody just wants to make the, the, the thing as successful as possible. Um, and it's your job really not to, um, to get in the way and to be as available and supportive and willing to talk about the book as, as you can be, you know, um, and to really just do the best you can. And it was, is interesting because I'm, I'm actually quite a shy introverted person. I don't really like being the center of attention very much. Um, and I spoke to an author and I said, you know, this is me and I'm now got to do this whole kind of dog and pony show where I talk to loads of people and do interviews and kind of do, um, visits to schools and libraries and whatever. And I'm feeling really nervous about it. And she was saying, well, the way you need to look at it is you're not just doing it. You're, you're not promoting yourself. You're actually celebrating all the hard work that everyone else has put into the book on your behalf. And that for me, that was actually a game changer. I was like, do you know what? I can, I can do that then. If I'm thinking about all the people in design and editorial and whatever who put hours into this thing of mine to make it as good as it can be, then suddenly I'm like, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind singing and dancing about it and, you know, telling people how great it is. Um, I talk about the book rather than me. If you see what I mean, it's like, yeah, yes, yeah, this, yeah. this thing is, this product is great, you know. Um, so that was, that, that really helped me on my journey to being a little bit more, um, 
extrovert. Yeah, it mustn't be easy. I mean, especially like, like you said, it's a very solitary process writing a book. But be like, oh, we'll, we'll just chuck you in Hall H on Comic-Con with thousands of geeks <laughs> walking around asking for signatures. Enjoy. Goodbye. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I, I know, but I mean, that's not the level know. we're talking about. But um, we're, we're, we're yeah, not, no, we're, it's, it's true. It's uh, it's, a big, it's a big shock to the system. And now you've probably got uh, book critics. You know, you're on the other side of the fence now. There's probably critics reading the book, offering maybe a bit of negative feedback. Has that happened? But I'm not saying it. You know, but it could happen. Um, it hasn't so far. I'm sure it will because you know no one's going to like. Not everyone is going to like everything that you do. It's kind of impossible to please everybody. So I'm like, that's fine. And I kind of feel like it wouldn't matter what the worst kind of kicking someone gave this book. I'd be like, I probably deserve it because I've done it, <laughs> you know, in the past in terms of you know stuff that I haven't liked as a critic and said I haven't liked it. You know, it's just like, well, that's what that's that's how it goes, isn't it? I mean, that's the whole the whole way it goes. But you hope that um, the people you'll reach are the are the readers. And it's interesting, you know, writing writing children's fiction. You're actually like, well, whoever the grown up critics are who are writing about whatever you're, you're writing aren't really your readers you know it's really um it's really those those children who you want to be getting the reviews from and whatever and funnily enough i mean the book was out in australia in march um it was supposed to be march in the uk as well but obviously we had this little pandemic thing happening which meant that no bookshops were open so we pushed yeah. it back to pushed it back to july but i had a lovely email from a dad who was a bookseller in um Tasmania. Tasmania. Oh, did you see? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was really beautiful because he's just said, you know, you'd think as a bookseller, I'd have a son who was really into books. But he was like, you know, my 11 year old really struggling to read for pleasure, not very interested. I gave him a copy of Skyway because it was about video games and he likes video games. Didn't expect much of it, but he read it in two sittings. And not only that, he then went on to pick up book after book after book of other authors and is now reading for pleasure just the whole time going. And I had an email from him um, two days ago to say, um, uh, we got his school report in and he's, you know, his scores like gone up across the board in particular English. And we are convinced that it is because he's reading more. And, you know, it's just like, you hear something like that as an author and you're like, you, I don't, that's the only review that really matters. You've won. You know? You've yeah, won. exactly. Exactly. And I wrote this oh. book for reluctant readers. I mean, that was, it was really, I just thought if you can get, if you can, I, I, you know, I don't believe there's such a thing as a reluctant reader. It's a term that's thrown around a lot. I just think you need, you haven't given that child the right book that's for them, whether it's a novel or graphic novel or nonfiction book about cars or whatever it might be. You just need to find the right thing for them. And for me, this was very much a book about video games and aliens and sci-fi and all the stuff that I loved when I was 12 and that got me reading more. And I just thought, if you, if, if I can write a story that's fast and pacey and really shows, um, kids who probably who maybe don't enjoy reading that much that reading can be really fun and immersive and exciting then um hopefully it will inspire them to read more so to get that email was just it was just like wow that's like christmas you know um and so i'm now no longer worried about reviews i'm just like it's fine you've, you've reached one person so <laughs> and i've read that you want to try and get kids from out uh from outside the front of the xbox you want to get them away from that and i was like Kids, uh, books versus Fortnite. Good luck. But it looks like it's working. <laughs> Good luck with that one. But it looks like it's working. And, and you know, I, I, 
I, I kind of get where you're coming from with this because I can be a reluctant reader because I'm so busy. Literally don't stop. I'm got, I got this interview. I got an event later on. I got the radio later and we reset and we do the whole thing again tomorrow. You know, I don't stop. So I don't really have time to do it. But if there's something worth me stepping away and taking a, a moment to myself to read something, I will do. Uh, and a huge shout out goes to the, the guys from Critical Tales who wrote the book Game of Gnomes. Um, they sent me a cup of their book. Uh, it was an, it's an adult book, but written very much in a style for a young teenager. Bigger, bigger font, uh, a quicker immersive story. I read the book in one night. Absolutely loved it. And I feel like sometimes you need to give your brain a bit of a break, don't you? When you're reading a book like this, it's, it's kind of like, let's enjoy reading this rather than, you know, really small font, big, thick book with really big words to read. Sometimes it's just like, let's just get through this. It's know? true. And I, you know, I think our attention spans have changed in maybe even in just the last 10 years with phones and social media and everything. You know, I, I think there's been a big, a big change in the way our brains are working, which was unexpected. And I think while there is a place for, you know, big, thick, heavy books that are very serious. I also think sometimes we need to remember the pleasure of reading um, with something that's maybe a bit lighter and faster and more um, uh, more of a page turner, you know, and all these all these different things have their place. But I I, I pitched this book when I went into the publishers, I, you know, Skywake, they were like, you know, how are you going to pitch it? And I said, well, this is for kids who are too busy playing Fortnite to want to read Harry Potter. And that was my kind of like sell line to them. And I still maintain that you know i'm a huge gamer i love gaming um uh i don't think that books and games need to necessarily be in a uh conflict or a fight with each other which is how it's always framed it's like you know if you play video games you won't read um and if you're a reader you're not playing games and that isn't actually true that wasn't my experience growing up at all you know my experience was seeing a space invaders cabinet at five years old engendered in me a love of science fiction forever since and you know as a as a child i devoured novel after novel after novel of sci-fi um while also loving video games you know and those two those two things seem very related i mean they're both sci-fi and novels and um gaming are both about immersing you in kind of worlds kind of um exciting worlds that you can kind of uh, find yourself there and i think that's a common link between the two things so i don't think it's too much of an ask actually to say to a kid who loves fortnite you love fortnite well you're going to love a book that's about gaming and really as a result of them reading it hopefully get them to go well do you know what i also really love novels that are about you know sci-fi or action or whatever and get them reading more afterwards as a result right Fast here's to- dune enjoy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, do you know what? It's a progression, isn't it? I mean, you know, you yeah. build your you build your way up, and that um that little boy in Australia, you know, started with Skywake, and his dad was like, "Oh, it's a, a gateway book," and you know, he was saying within a week or so, he was reading um, Charlie Higson's The Enemy series, which is kind of YA zombie whatever, and there's a they, you know those are big thick books, and there's a I don't know maybe six or so in the series, and he's like, you know, he's devouring his way through those, and he's moved on to another author and another author and whatever. Mm. I mean, there was really interesting research last year from the National Literacy Trust, who are a really big organization to do with reading for children in the UK. And they did a survey of um, kids aged 11 to 16, and they found that 73%, I think it was, of, it was definitely over 70% of children who play games in that age group said they were also um, big readers of stuff related to the games. So it might be websites about, you know, um, cheats and tips and hints or whatever. It might be fan fiction about the book, about the gaming. Um, it might be uh, books about the game, how they were made or like tie-in novels, you know, like all these things like 
uh, Assassin's Creed and Minecraft now have books, you know, that are kind of tied into Maybe the whole universe. Yeah. Maybe so, it, yeah. um, uh, I think there's, um, there's a big crossover actually between kids who like games and, and, and reading. And I think if we exploit that, we will actually find that kids will be reading more, which is the big win, really. You know, I think reading is, is just so fantastic for kids' development. Um, teaches them all kinds of skills, the most important of which, of course, being empathy. You know, I mean, the more the more you read, I think the more you can understand how to empathize with other people, because that's what books are all about, is putting you in someone else's shoes. And my mm. God, if we don't need more empathy in the times we live in at the moment. So very, very, very poignant. Very important. Um like, like, what I want you to do, um I know this is running a bit later because we had those technical issues um uh, in the middle. Um I want you to talk as if you're speaking to a parent now of a child and tell them why they should read your book and why should they why, why should they give this to your your child their child not your child their child <laughs> <laughs> they probably yeah, read my it children already. have read it <laughs> <laughs> um that's an interesting uh an interesting request let's see um well i would say that skywake is an action-packed adventure story with aliens video games and really at the heart of it is to do with what it is to be a leader um and it's an exciting page turner and it is destined, I think, to uh, get your kids to put down their Xbox and PlayStation controllers and pick up a book and start reading. And it's designed in a way that it feels really immersive. It's written in a way that it reads really quickly. It goes like a rocket. It's full of twists and turns and action. It's got lots of gaming um, elements in it. So, you know, any child who is into video games like Fortnite um, will instantly be able to say, ah, I recognize this world. You know, it's about a, a girl who plays a video game online with a bunch of friends. Um, so they have that whole kind of team dynamic going on that kids know about these days from, from playing video games. And they discover that the skills they've learned from the video game are actually applicable in real life. Um, and it helps them as they try to stop an alien invasion of the earth. And, you know, this is one of the big things that I really love. You know, I'm a big gamer. I love video games. I think they sometimes get a bad rap. I think there's a lot of good skills that um, we can all learn from playing video games. And certainly stuff like teamwork, working together, cooperating together um, is one of the key and is a big part of then what inspires this, this story in the book. Um, so I would hope that you give your kids, if they're 10 plus, you give them this book and they will devour it this summer and will hopefully start reading more books amazing amazing I'll, where can people get the book uh anywhere you would normally get your books from um cool. so all the all the usual places uh whenever people say this i always like to say if you can try and buy from a local independent bookshop because you know they they always really appreciate it and you know what if you can do that it really makes you part of a much kind of wider community of readers uh and writers and booksellers um in a way that maybe buying from some of the bigger uh branded monoliths of the world uh doesn't do quite the same thing so yeah um you know go into your independent bookshop and have a chat to them while you're there and they'll recommend you loads of titles booksellers are just amazing people they're the best absolutely definitely agree uh well i've enjoyed speaking to you honestly i'm sorry about the technical issues we had there but uh, I, I, okay but i want to tell you jamie about something that we're doing um in september on at 9 a.m on the 29th of september 
we're going to be doing a 24-hour live podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, we're not going to stop until 9am on the 30th of September, which is World Inter- uh, International Podcast Day. Uh, the guys over in LA at International Podcast Day know what we're doing. They're very excited about what we're doing. Uh, and we're going to be doing this to raise money for Lingen Davis. You're going to get 12 hours live of the Shrewsbury Biscuit and 12 hours live of USUK, USUK. Um, and we're going to be doing it at our at the venue we've got, which is the Reach Community Hub. Thanks to the guys at Shrewsbury Town, the community. We have our main sponsors in Reach. They're currently branding the event, making us T-shirts and hats and also probably a banner like you've got behind you there, Jamie. Uh, and we, we're going to have a real go at it and making some good, positive changes to our local community. And that's the reason why I'm doing this is to challenge people. If you've got a podcast or a gaming streaming, if you if you're doing if you've got a, a, a blog or a vlog, if if you're doing something, reach out to your local community and try and make a positive change. I challenge you to do better than me. Uh, and we'll we'll do this again next year and the year after and the year after and the year after. Um, we're, the Shrewsbury Biscuit schedule, the, the 12 hours we've got, is filling up quite nicely. So we've got plenty of guests there. But we're looking for sponsors. We're selling um, hours to sponsors. If you want uh, 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. And, uh, you know, this this uh, hour is brought to you by Jamie, you know. Uh, and we'll display your decals and we'll, we'll give you the hour. And you'll be donating a £100 minimum towards uh, this great charity. So that's what we're going to be doing. It's going to be real fun. Um, so we'd love for you guys to get involved. You can get involved via our website, which is the shrewsbybiscuitpodcast.co.uk. And that's made for us by our friends at Web Orchard. So, um, Jamie, have you got a website for the, the, for the book or where can people find it or any information to do with it? Yeah, sure. I have a personal website, which is, um, jamierussell.co.uk, all one word. Um, two S's and two L's in Russell, as I always tell everyone. Um, there's, and I think if you just put Skywake Invasion into Google, it will come up with, um, bookseller links, um, the big Amazon link, Waterstones, whatever. Yeah. So I'm going to get a copy of this book. And if I see you in the street, I'm going to accost you for a, a signature. <laughs> I want to, I want to read it to Timmy, see if he enjoys it. You know, his, his, his reading's quite advanced, so he might enjoy it. I don't know. Six years. You have to, you, and you have to tell me about your book before we, um, before we depart. Well, uh, yes, I will. I will. We'll end the show and I'll, I'll talk to you about it now. But Fantastic. guys, um, thank you very much for listening today. I hope you tune us, uh, tune in for the next one. The podcasts are going to be a little bit staggered at the moment. What I'm doing at the moment is I'm, I'm recording batteries of shows, three or four at a time, lots of huge batches, and I'm going to release them sort of staggered because there's events happening all around the county and everybody wants the shoes of biscuit there. So I want to concentrate on events and the community around me as well. So let's record a, a few batches of podcasts, release them as and when they come out, and then we can take part in events too. So that's what we're going to be doing keep an eye on what we're doing go to the website and uh, support us right we'll catch you guys next time uh peace out goodbye